good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you. I'm Gabby. If we haven't met, I get to work with our students and be on the teaching team here. And that video you saw was a little sneak peek into what happens here on Sundays and Wednesdays. And so, yeah, we think we've got something pretty great going on um, here with our kids and students. And if you know a kid or a student who needs a place to feel like uh, they belong, that they're welcome, and um, where they can experience the love that Jesus has for them, bring them. We want more. We want as many as we can get. Um, so yeah, that's my little plug. I, that's not the only thing I'm here to do today, though. I'm also here uh, to bring us into the second week of our series, No Other Way, which is actually setting up what we will walk with for the rest of the year, kind of this larger theme, Life as Jesus Meant It to Be. But in this series, we are taking seriously Jesus's claim that there is no other way. There's no other way to God, no other way to life as it was truly meant to be than the way of Jesus. And that that truth is so core, it's so fundamental and central to our faith that what we wanna do is spend this year exploring this life that Jesus offers. And so how we're gonna do that is we're gonna kind of alternate between looking at spiritual practices from the early church and the life of Jesus to see how these might be incorporated, how these might fit into our lives, as well as examining the natural rhythms of life that we already have and understanding how faith might fit into those. But what we're doing is we're centering it all on this verse that if you were with us last week, you heard multiple times, you're gonna hear it multiple times today as well. That's really grounding us, centering us uh, for the year. It's from Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. I'm gonna read it from the NIV version and the message version this morning. It says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Or this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me, watch how I do it, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Doesn't that sound good? That sounds like a good promise, doesn't it? It's so good that I, I almost feel like I don't need to talk about it more, but of course I will for the next 25 minutes. So uh, I recently purchased something called a happy light. Have you heard of this? Um, it's, like a, it's like the size of a picture frame and it's just a block of light and it's supposed to mimic the effects of the sun that you get from the sun because we live in a barren wasteland. Um, <laughs> that's how I feel. Uh, and literally in the winter, I feel more tired and burned out, like I just do. And so sitting next to this light, which is very bright, for about 20 minutes is supposed to make me feel more rested and awake. And so I do it. And I think it honestly kind of works. So. If you're in the market, maybe a happy light's for you. But I see this verse as like the scripture version of a happy light. Like I just read it and it feels good. It's like, do you want something to make you feel less tired, worn out, burned down? Of course, of course I do. Who wouldn't want that? I mean, who isn't longing for real rest? 
Maybe you won't consider religion to be the place that you find it, but I think the promise of living real rest, free and light life, it speaks to something inside of us. Because the reality is that we are all burdened in some way. Maybe you're burdened by the financial realities and goals that you have, but feel trapped in. Maybe you're burdened by your mental and emotional health that limits your capacities, what you feel like you can do, or by the demands of our responsibilities and relationships that we have, or or maybe by the overwhelming weight of global dynamics that we're not even quite sure how to address. Maybe you're burdened by your own hopes and dreams that get pushed down, set aside for something more urgent. Or maybe you're just tired. You'd like a break. Things to stop, to pause for maybe a minute or a month. I don't know. Yeah, we hear these words from Jesus and and they resonate. But how many of us here today, we wonder if this promise is too good to be true? I mean, how many of us have been following Jesus for a while and we are wondering why our lives don't more closely resemble this? Are we living wrong? Are we interpreting Jesus's words incorrectly? Or is this promise simply not valid? That's what I wanna look at today. And so I think looking at this verse, seeing what Jesus actually asks of us is a good way to come at it. And if we look at the message version, um, what Jesus is asking of us, it's pretty clear. It's kind of just repeated over and over again. Come to me, get away with me, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace, keep company with me. Really, at the core, Jesus is saying a life of rest looks like a life in companionship with Jesus. We may complicate it or dress it up or try to make it look a different way, but that's the answer from the text, plain and simple, that a life of real rest is a life in companionship with God. But I wonder like how we actually step into that, how we live in that as a reality, how we see it play throughout our lives. And I think something that is really helpful is, is Jesus to help his listeners understand. He, he employs this image of a yoke. And when I think of a yoke, I think of like um, two oxen in a field, like pulling a cart. I've never actually seen that in real life, but... I don't know, I've seen it somewhere. Um, and so I, that's what I see, but actually at that time when they're listening to it, they're also thinking about a yoke like for a person. Because in that era, you know, with the technology that they had, uh, a yoke placed on a person made their load easier. A yoke would help them carry heavy things without being overwhelmed by the weight, that that was uh, what was designed for an individual. But Jesus' listeners would be familiar with a different kind of yoke. And that was this oppressive yoke of the religious system that they were part of from the Torah. That the religious rules and regulations, what a person needed to do in order to please God, it had done the exact opposite of the yoke's intentions. Instead of making a heavy burden seem lighter, it had simply placed more and more burdens on a person until that weight was crushing. And what religion became was a way to please God by following different rules, regulations, expectations that no one could pull off. And so what this had done is just weighed people down. And Jesus is saying, I have a different way. I have a different yoke. 
To add one more layer to this picture, to this metaphor, uh, a yoke was also used as an image of submitting to another person's authority, coming under their yoke. And so this would mean that Jesus would be inviting his followers to take off the yoke of the Torah and instead submit to his authority, which would bring about life as it was meant to be. It's an important distinction because sometimes we stop at taking off the first yoke and we don't think about that he's inviting them to put on a second one. So it's not, I'm going to remove this first and then you get to live, uh, I was going to say like fancy footed and carefree, but I don't actually know the the phrase. So pretend I didn't say that. Um, but that he was saying there's a new yoke to come under and that is the way that you live life as it was designed to be. A life that is not about rules or trying to work as hard as you can to fit into a system, but the key to rest is to take on a different yoke. And surprisingly, this is not because Jesus's standards are lower. In the words of the New Testament, he consistently actually raises expectations, but because he takes on the burdens we bear and he only places things on us we were meant to bear. In other words, Jesus's yoke under his yoke, the key is not to do all of the right things in order to please God, but to get near the God who is already pleased with you. You see, all that this this Torah, this other yoke was doing was keeping people so distracted in their pursuit of just trying to be close to God that no one got there at all. And so what Jesus did is he removed that yoke and he said, now your mission, your life's goal is to get near the God who's already pleased with you. What kind of yoke does that sound like to you? To me, it sounds a lot like grace. And we talk about grace a lot around here. It's what we're kind of known for, and as we should. But I want to make sure we're all on the same page this morning and know exactly what, what grace means. Grace is unmerited favor or getting what you don't deserve. Ephesians 2.8 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift from God. The definition's right in there, that grace is something not from you, not generated by you, it's a gift, no strings attached from God. You can't do anything to earn it. Grace is the message that declares to you that if it were up to fairness, if it was based on your behavior, you wouldn't have made the cut you would not have received salvation. When I say salvation, I mean the deliverance of being saved from the consequence of sin, which is death. You wouldn't have received that. That is a yoke you simply put could not bear, but you've been given what you don't deserve. The riches of God's grace which deems you as delivered and saved totally independent from your behavior and instead totally dependent on the work of Jesus. Now, if you've been listening to me, I'm kind of a cynical listener of sermons. Um, If you're wondering what I'm doing over there, I'm taking notes and figuring out what Jeremy and Sam could do better. Um, But they've asked me to do that. So it's like, it's like, they know what's going on. Um, But when I'm listening to this, it, it almost seems like we're at a bit of a crossroads here. We're at a bit of a fork in the road. Because on one hand, we acknowledge that if we are truly kind of living grace as the core of what we understand about Jesus, then we will know that our behavior isn't required. That grace means that we don't have to do anything in order for God to be pleased with us. But we also have heard this Matthew 11 passage that says, are you tired, burned out, worn down? And we go, yeah, I am. 
And it's inviting us then to step into life as Jesus meant it to be. And if, if we see those in a certain way, we might look at this as two roads that are divergent, that go in opposite directions. And so if we truly do view this as a crossroads, then walking down the path of trying to enter into this full life that Jesus has promised, it will mean that we have to leave the path of grace. And we don't wanna do that because that will lead us in this slippery slope of believing that our behavior matters. And listen, while I think that is a valid concern and, and certainly we work to keep grace at the center, I actually think that this relationship between behavior and grace is not a problem to solve, it's a tension to manage. That really, if we are walking in life as Jesus meant it to be, they will not be two separate paths. The path of grace will always be first, but what will follow it is the path of living life as Jesus meant to be. One follows the other, one is born out of the other. The path of grace bears the path of life as Jesus meant it to be. A way we could see this um, that's actually based on the text is that scholars who look at this Matthew 11 verse, they recognize, yes, that Jesus is offering a salvation message. So he's saying like, I am, I am it. Like you can come to me, take my yoke and you're gonna be good. But there's another thing that he is kind of emulating in this passage that we can actually look into. And what scholars recognize is that he is reflecting what's called divine wisdom. In the Old Testament, there's a bunch of what's called uh, wisdom literature, which is like the book of Proverbs advice on how to live life well. And what these scholars make a note of is, yes, of course, Jesus is savior, but he's also embodied wisdom. He's the wisest person to have ever lived. In fact, Matthew 11 parallels a passage from Jeremiah 6.16 that says this, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient path, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest from your souls, right from that Matthew 11 text. But you said we will not walk in it. Now the good news is that like, this is Old Testament, we are post New Testament. So Jesus has made a path for us to walk in, amen, all of that. But what I think this passage does highlight well, that is still a challenge for us today, is this irony that we will entrust Jesus to save our souls, but we will resist the way that he is calling us to live. That the thing that we would all, if we're pressed, agreed is the most long lasting, the thing with the highest stakes, our eternity, we will put that in Jesus's hands. We will say like, thank goodness you did that. Uh, for sure, I'm hopping on that bandwagon. But when it comes to Jesus's wisdom, the way he is calling us to live, we will resist. We will push back. We will convince ourselves that we would rather have a carefree life. We'd rather have a life free of what anyone tells us to do. But I wonder if rest for our souls is not actually living a carefree life, but about freeing ourselves from caring about the wrong things. And that what Jesus is offering is an invitation to come to him because that is truly what is best for us in order to see who God is and to be in his loving presence. I, I think of it kind of like this. Um, I know it's cold out here, but in the summers, I like to golf. Any golfers in the room today? Yes, a couple of us, cool. This is gonna land with everyone then. Um, so I took some golf lessons when I was like eight and then when I was like 12, could we use the term golf prodigy? 
No, we couldn't. I was not very good, but I did like learn enough to swing a golf club. Um, and so in the summer, I have Fridays off. Don't worry, I work Sunday through Thursday. And my mom and I will go golfing, but we have got some rules about golfing. Um, first of all, par three only, okay? Applewood Golf Course, shout out. Very low key, very relaxed. Um, also, we don't keep score. That's super stressful. And so... We're not writing down, now listen, if I get par, am I making sure she knows about it? Yes, I am. Um, but otherwise, if there's a bad hole, we just pretend it didn't happen and move on to the next one. Um, do-overs, totally expected. You're going to take about three uh, hits off the tee because one of them might be better than the last one and we're just working with the best that we got. Um, and we consider it a win if we find as many balls as we lose because... Zero. You're back to zero. It's a balanced budget. Um, and so that's how we like to golf. Now, um, we still care about form. We're not total, you know, hooligans. Um, so we're just still trying to, like, do everything right. And golf is so annoying sometimes because I'll, like, you know... <laughs> I don't even want to show you my golf stance because some people are going to be like, that's bad. Um, imagine like a really cool golf girl right here. That's what I look like. And um, I hit it and then like sometimes my dad will come with us, which really annoys my mom because he'll give her like a piece of advice and then that's like a little tense. Um, my parents are here today. <laughs> they only like it when I tell good stories about them. They have a great marriage. I'm really, I admire it a lot. That's serious. Okay, um, off the rails. So, but if you like do something a little bit wrong, like the ball will go this way and they're like, just tilt your hands this way. Oh, a quarter turn back here. It's, it's a mess. But what I've realized is that my ball, best golf swings, which is about one out of every six swings, um, is not when I am like thinking the hardest or hitting the ball as hard as I can. If I'm doing it right, which I don't really know what it is, it feels almost effortless. It's like I'm letting the momentum of the club kind of carry the, uh, the ball through and then it can like land on the green and it's awesome. But my point is that, not that you should hire me as your golf court coach, but that I think there's this um, intentional effortlessness that, about golf that reminds me about the life of Jesus. That, that that's where, what we're in pursuit of. Yes, caring about, about the way that we, you know, set up, the way that we live, but that actually when we're doing it right, it's supposed to be a kind of effortless. That it's not about trying as hard as we can. It's about letting the momentum of life, letting the design of life as Jesus meant it to be, carry us through. Um, the way I describe it is like this, resting in God's grace and walking in his wisdom that I think that this is the design of life as Jesus meant it to be. That yes, first and foremost, we rest in God's grace. We like claim that as core and central. There is nothing we need to do to make God happy with us. But then we realize that grace is an invitation to freely walk in God's wisdom and to do it imperfectly, to fail again and again and again. And what we see is that God's grace is an invitation of trying, succeeding, and failing to live in the way that Jesus is calling us to do. 
I think Paul um, in the New Testament really like lays this out really well um, because he talks about grace and then the connection to life after uh, better than I, which is why he's in the Bible and I'm not. Um, Ephesians 2, 1 says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world as the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. I love this image because Paul's language about grace, it's so powerful. It's not bad to good. It's not failing to passing. It's dead to alive. Dead implies any sort of lack of ability, right? You can't do anything. No one cares how bad your golf swing is when you're dead. You can't even swing a golf club. It's this utter state of helplessness. And what Jesus did is he brought you back to life. You couldn't bring yourself to life. Jesus did it for you. So when Jesus says there is no other way, this is what he's saying. He's saying, I am the life. Or in other words, you're dead without me. And then what he does is he says, Paul says, there's more. But wait, that's not the end because this Ephesians 2 passage for another five verses, he just talks about grace and how powerful it is and how much it can do. And then he he wraps up that section of text with this line, for we are God's handiwork created in Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is like his crescendo at the end of his insistence of how powerful grace is. But you are God's handiwork. You see, God created you for this. So do good works. In fact, we see this pattern throughout scripture. Ephesians 4.24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Galatians 5.25, since we live by the spirit, let's keep in step with the spirit. All of these uh, texts, what they have in common is there is an acknowledgement of what God did for you, death to life that you could not do for yourself. You don't have life by the spirit without God. You weren't created in Christ by yourself. God did it. You can't live by the spirit without Jesus. You can't have a new self without God. But then the encouragement is this, do good works, put on the new self, step with the spirit. This is the invitation that we all have, this acknowledgement of what grace has accomplished that you could not do and an indication that there's a way to live made possible by grace that you get to choose. I kind of see it um, like those home renovation shows, you know what I'm talking about? There's like 8 million of them and the family like gets a new house and they didn't know it and they're like, whoa, this is your house for free. I like watching Trading Spaces, which is that, but the nightmare version if like your neighbors ruin your house for you. Um, But the ones with like the new, brand new big house, now we're all cynical now. We know tax implications, have to pay taxes. It's not actually free, but pretend for a second. It's just as good as it sounds, totally free. And they see their new house and they're like freaking out on the outside. And then what do they do? They go in that thing and they are like exploring every single detail. They're freaking out. They find the coat racks that they put up on the wall that you think don't matter and they're super excited about those. There's like a little plug-in. I always like how they're super excited about the minor things like the plug-in lamp that lights up and you're like, you got a new kitchen and this is what we're excited about right here. 
But they're like exploring every new inch of it. Why? Because it is this new space that they've been given to live in. And boy, are they gonna live in it. And they're gonna explore it. They're gonna leave no inch untouched, undiscovered. And this is, I think, a picture of our life with God. By grace, you've been given a new house. No strings attached. It's been totally paid for. Your invitation is to get in there and live in it. Get in there and explore it and eventually steward it well. Because you weren't just called to stop on the outside and say, great, like that's the new house, awesome. I'm just gonna stay in this little corner. The invitation, life as Jesus meant it to be in companionship with him is to live every inch of it, to explore every section of it. And this is the pursuit we're after. This is like the craving that we're getting at this year to discover life as Jesus meant it to be in all areas. In the words of that scripture, to recover our lives and learn how to take a real rest. Because the truth is we may be saved by grace, but the patterns of our life reveal we don't always live out of that grace. So this year, could you commit? Would you be willing to try resting in God's grace and walking in God's wisdom. For us as a community, this is gonna look like trying different spiritual practices, which yes, are things you're asked to do, not as a means of making God happy though, but to get us in more often in the presence of God. That's what a spiritual practice is, it's meant to do. It's supposed to help those of us who live distracted, hurried, overfilled, burdened lives, more aware of the presence of God who is always with us. And we call them practices for a reason because it's something you're supposed to do that no one expects you to do perfectly. Listen, I played soccer for like eight years and they always let me practice and I was always bad. In fact, they told me to practice more. So I think that we should practice a lot, even if we're bad at it. We should keep, keep going at it. And listen, sometimes it will be a little bit uncomfortable. It'll be a little bit scary. That doesn't mean we're outside of the grace of God. It doesn't mean we're not being led by the Spirit but it might just mean that we're taking a step to discover one part, one portion of life of Jesus that we have not recognized yet. Actually, the first practice we're looking at starting next week is is Sabbath. And Sabbath is um, about stopping, literally stopping all work and then just spending a day resting and delighting. If you didn't know that this was a spiritual practice now, I bet you wanna practice it because it is really cool. And I've always wanted to do it, but I felt like really, like I didn't have time. And I know you're like, you're a single 20 something girl. Like how you have nothing but time, but I found a way to make it, make it filled up. And so I I was like, I have grad school, I have chores, I have errands, I have things I need to do. Like, I just, I just can't do this. Um, And then about two months ago, I woke up and I had this realization that I couldn't remember the last time I started my day without like a to-do list in my head. It was exhausting. I was so tired. And so I decided to give it a go for the last like two months. I've been trying my best uh, to practice Sabbath. And I don't do it perfectly. And a couple times it's gotten messed up and that's been frustrating for a moment. But at its core, it's like the best. I wake up and I like read my book and I go on a walk. I take a nap on the couch and that's spiritual because it's Sabbath. And I pray and I read my Bible. I watch a basketball game. I know we're not supposed to watch technology or whatever, but Jesus approves of that one. I checked with him. And um, 
It is like the best day ever. And what I realized, A, is I didn't know how tired I actually was, but I also realized that there is this longing in my soul, not to just know I'm saved, but to truly experience life as Jesus meant it to be here and now. The, it's, just, it's just so limiting to me that I would, I would sit here, I would follow Jesus, I would even sit in these seats every week and I would just leave it at my eternity, that I would just leave it there, that I wouldn't get into the house any further, that I wouldn't explore any farther because life is hard. And if there's a promise for rest, there's a promise of recovering my life, living a way that's free and light, like I am gonna go after it. Especially because I know that the grace of God is right there. And that's our invitation for the year to attempt in Jeremy's words to integrate your life so that there is not an area of grace that Jesus doesn't touch to practice getting in his presence. As James 4, 8 says, drawing near to him and he will draw near to you. And to remember that Jesus's invitation to come to him, it only has one requirement. It is that those who come to him recognize their need and accept his yoke. The invitation is not for those who feel wise or mighty, but those who feel weighed down and heavy who want what he is offering, who are ready to make the exchange of their yoke for his. Those are the people who are ready to experience life as Jesus meant it to be. So are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to Jesus, get away with him and you'll recover your life. He'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with Jesus, work with Jesus, watch how he does it. Learn the unforced rhythms of his grace. Jesus won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with him and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Amen.